So we're only in week two of the, the new section of our series, but it's this one big fall series. I love my church and I love my city and, and we love both. It's not just that you finish, okay, we've checked off, we love our church and now uh, let's stop doing that and start loving our city. And then we don't stop doing that just to love the Bahamas and you see it's, it's a both-in situation. But perhaps last week or if you're coming in today, maybe you saw your face on the wall. And even if you didn't, because there's gonna be people that are joining us uh, since that time, We've, we've taken those pictures. It represents the church's people. The church isn't just the building. We happen to gather here, especially on Sundays, uh, but the church is actually people. And then the map that you uh, see that, that takes up a big chunk of the wall closer to the hello desk, perhaps you were looking for where I live. I was saying to a few of you, uh, Pastor John Simons and I uh, were, were co-kind of leading through um, a funeral this week. And so as he was looking at the map, and he lives out of town, by the way, if you didn't know, he was looking at the map and he's like, I live, and then he walked over to the hello desk and he's like, I live over here. And, and so, it, you know, it, it's obviously not just within the city limits. Many of us live either on the edges or, or beyond, and many of you online, but the point is that we're that, uh, that church that's on a hill behind the mill in the Ville who happens to be on the north side. I cross at least two rivers to get here, uh, but I live in the city, and so uh, I've pointed out to some how I'll start at one side, and I was like, yeah, I go this way, and depending on traffic, I might go a long way around, and so as you're looking at that, you're going to see that there's some pins, and, and maybe some kids already saw them and thought, hmm, pointy, I, I'm, I'm gonna grab those. Well, next week, we're gonna share a little bit more detail on that, but prayer is, is gonna be a massive component of the whole series, as it already has been, and so as we're praying, and as we just did that together, we're praying that, uh, Father, may your will be done in my heart. Change my heart from the inside out. And he doesn't like to stop there, does he? Because once he has your heart, it's going to extend to your home. It's going to extend to the people you encounter, which we're going to look at today. It's going to extend to this church. Hopefully that, that's true, because it's the way that we love each other is, is how the world will know that we're his disciples. And it doesn't end there. We have to love people that are even different than us. And so we're in the middle of this uh, I Love My City uh, series now. And sometimes uh, things happen where you got to get out of town. You got to get out of Dodge. Do you do, you, do you do that every now and then? I know some of you, you're already planning like, uh, winter's coming. And so I'm going south. You know, you're thinking that or maybe it's just getting out of town. Well, uh, this week, uh, it was a, a birthday. It was one of the ones where you could laugh or cry, but you can't retire yet. And so I don't know if you've been there before, but it's, uh, it's kind of like, oh, that's, that's a funny number. Uh, that's neat. Uh, I remember when parents were that, that age, and they were ancient, and well, you, can, you, can, you get the point. Uh, but it was one of those ones that uh, it's a milestone, and so my wife, she wanted to get me out of town, and so that, that was, I love my city, but I also love getting out of the city every now and then. And so we, we got to go and have a nice meal down in St. Andrews. And so what was different from the, the last kind of milestone is that at 30, I wanted to try 30 new things at 30. I've mentioned this before just kind of for the fun of it. But because of the family I grew up in, my grandmother was allergic to uh, shellfish and a lot of different things. And so uh, she still made lots of great meals, but I wasn't comfortable eating seafood. It wasn't that I didn't like it. I was just kind of nervous around it because I couldn't have it and I didn't want my grandmother sick. 
And so when I was turning 30, I was thinking like, well, I need to try 30 new things. And, and I was like, well, at least five or 10 of them would be seafood related. And so I, I started gradually trying things and like, okay, I'm not sure about this. And, and do you ever have nerves before, you know, nerves, you, you get anxious about trying a new thing. Well, eventually there were some things that I was like, oh, wow. Why didn't anyone let me have this before? Why didn't you tell me? You guys were, were keeping a secret. Well, so the meal that I was able to have, like we started with mussels, which is something that 10 years ago I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have touched, but they were probably the best ones I ever had. I had seafood chowder. I had a lobster roll. Those things are good. Like they, they were doing it right at the Algonquin anyway. So, so I, was, I was treated. Um, but if anyone in here, have you ever had a relaxation massage? Have you ever had one of those? Sometimes they're actually relaxing. There's aromatherapy. There's all this stuff, and it, it was great. And, and they're just kind of like, so I know it's relaxation, but is there an area you want uh, to work on? I'm just like, I, I don't know, like neck, back, whatever. And so as, as they get started, you know, they start to warm you up, and, and, and everything smells great. And it's like you're trying not to fall asleep and drool on the little mat that your face is on, you know what I mean? Uh, but then there was this spot. And so this is back to the age thing, because people told me that this would happen. Like, all of a sudden, you, you get up in the morning, you're like, why do my feet hurt? Why do my joints hurt? Why, why is my back sore? Uh, and so all of a sudden, there was this spot in between my shoulder blade that I'm like, I don't want to let on that this hurts, but I might die. Like, this might be my last birthday. And as they're pushing into my, my shoulder blade, I'm like, no, I think I lost feeling in, in my fingertips. Like, I don't know what's going on here. And so... Long story short, I didn't, I'm still here, as you can see, and so as, uh, as I was, you know, I, I got fully dressed, I, I, I leave the room, and they had this nice um, infused water for me as I came out, and like, do you feel rested? I was like, yeah, and they're like, do you have any questions? I was like, I do. So when you were hitting a spot here, do, could you tell? They're like, oh yeah, you need work. I was like, okay, good, so thanks for the relaxation, but now I have to get to work. I need some work on, uh, there's this one spot if anyone wants to help. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but you're gonna see in, in this story that there's, there's some, some work that was, was needed and, and some wanted to avoid it, uh, but someone was willing to get into it. Um, depending on how your Bible kind of shows sections, you know, the, those parts aren't necessarily inspired, but they're super helpful. Even the verse numbers are really helpful to find your way as you're reading the Bible. So I'm really grateful for those. I've mentioned the red letters before too, because the words of Jesus, the font is red, and it kind of pops off the page. So before you even start to make any notes or underline, which you're allowed to do, even on, uh, on, online, depending on the app you're using or, or on a website, often they will do that too, which I, I think is a helpful thing. Sometimes this is two different stories, but I really think you'll see how it's one. And so as we're reading today in Luke, it starts this way. One day... An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, and this happened quite often, didn't it? People wanted to test or trap Jesus, and he tried it by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus replied, and here comes in, in my text, the red letters, I love when he answers with a question, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? He could have asked one question, but I like that he asked two, because in this, in this sense, it's like, what, what does it say? As in, you know, when, when you cram for the test, and it's just verbatim, whatever, whatever you underlined, I was like, I'm going to memorize that. But he actually asked for an interpretation of it, and I think that's fascinating that Jesus allows this expert 
to kind of prove how do you interpret it. So he says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you've heard Jesus has been asked this question before, and in, depending on the translation, depending on uh, which gospel account you're looking at, where people ask, you know, Lord, what's the most important commandment? Well, he doesn't just say one. He continues similar to this expert in religious law. He says, well, to love God with essentially your whole self and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this is, this is the entire law and the prophets. They hang on this. And so when the man answers this way, right, Jesus told him, do this, and you will live. And so that really sums up beyond just the Ten Commandments. Some picture it being like the first four or so is about loving God. It's, it's between you and the Lord and how the next six or so are about loving your neighbor or loving others. Well, it's kind of the whole thing is about loving God, isn't it? And, and then some are particular about the people that you encounter. And so this man answered correctly, but... The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he's trying to pull, uh, pull one over on Jesus, but Jesus gets into a story. So sometimes when people test Jesus, he answers a question with a question to put it back on the person, and then they're kind of like, uh... I wasn't ready for that part. Like, I, I wasn't prepared for this test. I wasn't prepared for this trial. But in this case, sometimes he answers with a story. And so maybe you've heard this one before. You've at least heard the title of it, even in, in culture. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, but he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead, beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. And we don't need to get into this specifically, but it wasn't like he was on the, the trail doing a loop uh, from one bridge to the other. It wasn't like it was just like moving over. It was almost like a separate, like he had to bypass this, this guy. It, it, it was very obvious. And so uh, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. So it appears like the temple assistant goes a little bit closer, like even like looks at him and like, oh, this guy's pretty bad. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And so the listener here, the original listener, this expert, he would have kind of tensed up a little bit. He would have had this little spot in his, uh, the back of his shoulder blade here that he needed some work on. And oh, when he heard this word, it was someone who they, they started out and it was like they believed the same thing as, as the Jews, but then they kind of split ways. And so the word despised here is it's someone that he would have contempt for. But this despised Samaritan came along and he saw the man like the others saw the man but he felt compassion on him. And going over to him, not just to look to see how bad it was, but going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, I underlined that because this, this wasn't like a five-minute or an hour-long kind of endeavor. The next 
day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Um, if you look at the footnote here, uh, one of them represents uh, a laborer's full day wage. And so the, the two of them, so that's like two extra days pay. So he's, he's sort of lost a day. He's spent probably at least a, a day in, in, in the terms of the olive oil and, and everything else. And uh, maybe he was actually, you know, transporting something either for his own uh, well-being or, or for someone else. But here, um, there's really like at least three days accounted for. There's at least three coins worth accounted for. Telling the innkeeper, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So there's already uh, two coins officially, uh, at least the value of another implied, and then potentially more, whatever it takes. And now the question that Jesus wants to ask the man is this. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Father, we again commit this time to you and, and this story that's been challenging to uh, not just Christians, but cultures around the world and, and how we're supposed to care for one another and, and, and even how we're supposed to determine law. And as we're now looking at it, we, uh, we allow ourselves to be challenged. We allow ourselves our hearts to uh, be changed by you and, and not just to reflect on a story, but, but what it means and, and why you have this for us here today. So, um, so may your will be done even in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I love how it starts and, and the man is actually, whether we know he's going to test Jesus or not, uh, he knows his stuff. He really is an expert and it's cool how he could take basically the first Five books and pick uh, two verses, uh, one from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus, and pinpoint those in the same way that maybe Jesus would and say, yeah, this, if you had to sum it up in one or one and a half or, or two things, here's what sums up everything. If you could get this right, you'd be doing well. If it's not just about inheriting eternal life as in afterward when you die, but start living life now, live life well, and don't do something that would be something that could result in, in, in death as far as punishment. And so when he starts, he says, yes, you, you must love the Lord your God. Well, this is actually a more complete verse, not that they had numbers attached to them, but they would have learned this, whether they could read a scroll or not, whether they were hearing it in temple or not, they would have memorized this. And so this religious expert, he would have heard it. He would have had it internalized. We're not 100% sure on his age. Um, definitely greater than, than 30 is implied, but, but we don't know how old he is. And that doesn't matter, but he has it internalized. He, he knows the word. And it's the one where it says, listen, or, or in some translations, hear, like really hear. And so we need to do that today, but it's, it's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so that's, that's that first one out of Deuteronomy 6, kind of 4 and 5. It, it's, it's really spoken in, in one long sentence. It's not meant to be a separate verse, but you get the point of how he's trying to answer Jesus' question. 
But the other one comes from Leviticus 19, 18, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. The more complete uh, verse or phrase is, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord is how, how that more complete. So, so both are reminding the listener and this expert, although he didn't say it out loud to Jesus, they both, there was this implied thing like, the Lord spoke this to us. It wasn't just Moses giving us an idea. And so they take it seriously. When many are looking at the first two um, people that come by the man, he's, he's, on the, he's on the road, he's beat up. He probably does look terrible. The, the, the way it's translated here is that he's half dead. Uh, he, he, you know, bandits beat him up. Um, they stole from him even his clothing. And so here he is, and, and the first two see him, well, one author said that maintaining ceremonial uh, cleanliness was more important than doing the messy work of responding to human need. And so the priest, in order, I guess in his mind, to, to stay pure in, in his job and his religion, he decided not to care for the man, even though Scripture did imply that he should, and we'll see that in a moment. And then even the next one, the Levite, the, the temple assistant, he comes by, he sees him too, and he's like, no, I'm going around. And so instead of trying to help this man, they, they didn't want to be uh, unclean uh, for any duration of time. And so it, it appears like um, what Jesus is implying is that, like, no, the Father sees this, by the way. And you're trying to do a thing for me, but by trying to do that and not the other thing, it's not for me at all. And so the whole idea of summing these two things up is that it's not just about loving the Lord with your whole self. Doing that actually implies that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is the situation. I like in the, the message uh, how it's phrased about the, the Samaritan. When he comes along, his heart went out to him. So as he sees the man, all three of them saw the man. All three of them saw him, but as he saw him, his heart went out to him. And I like to think of it this way. Last week we were talking about how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And remember Jonah was so mad and so there's this verse where Jonah's kind of burying his teeth and he's like, oh, I knew this, Lord. I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. You're slow to get angry and you're filled with unfailing love. Yeah, isn't that good news, Jonah? But no, in, the, in that case, he was frustrated about it. But here's what I want us to observe in this. Uh, it doesn't imply that the first two had compassion, but they did go up and they, and they did see, but then they decided to avoid him. Well, I want to point out the difference in, in compassion and mercy. I think compassion starts in the heart. I think compassion is when, when your heart goes out to someone. Compassion is, is where that begins. Compassion is in the heart, but mercy is in the hands. So the third man, this despised Samaritan, that's implied uh, and, and it's supposed to upset this, this expert because he can't deny what, what he's done based on the story Jesus says. He doesn't just have compassion, he shows mercy. And so when we think about God who is, who is compassionate and, and, and he's full of mercy, what that means is that he doesn't just feel for us, he does something about it. And that's why he wants us to be like him in his image, in his character, to not just feel compassion, not just have it in the heart, but let it come out in the hands through mercy. So it's not enough to just have compassion. Oh, well, I really feel for this person. So do something about it is what Jesus is implying. So I think this is true. I think that mercy 
is compassion in action. It starts with, with the heart, but, but actual mercy is compassion in action. You do need the compassion. It's, it, it is appropriate that someone could have just come along and held their breath, and it, it was probably just a mess, and it stunk, and it might have upset someone's stomach, but, but some, someone could just take care of a person maybe without compassion. But I, I don't think that's what the Lord's calling us to either. It's not one or the other, it's both. And, and so compassion must lead to mercy, to be a good neighbor, to be, I'll take it further, to be a disciple. Uh, compassion must lead to mercy. We have this question I mentioned last week, a different one, that Craig Rochelle in a book that we're reading as a staff, it's called Lead Like It Matters. And there's so many questions in it, and usually we're left kind of asking another question, and I, I feel that's helpful because if we just knew all the answers, this man knew the answers, but he was still not trying to, to do it. He was trying to justify his own actions. Well, if I could find a loophole here, that would be great because then I could be off the hook. I could, I could just know all the things but not actually have to do them. That's not the point here. And so Craig Rochelle has this question that is not just for us individually, but I, I think it's, it's for this group here. The question is, is there an unmet need in your community that your church might be uniquely able to meet? I think it's tempting to read a story like this and, and think, okay, we're going to help every single person in Fredericton. We might not be yet equipped to do that, just, just for the record. Uh, that's not just a disclaimer, that's reality. And so we might not be able to, to help every single person, but we're not off the hook from helping someone. And so whether that's as an individual or whether it's putting our heads together and, and doing this, um, sometimes you might be uh, heading somewhere on your donkey or, or it's, it's carrying or your Jeep or whatever, you know, uh, or your bicycle, whatever. You might be inter interacting with someone and you're on your own. And, and, and just in case it needs to be uttered, um, discernment is needed. There are situations, perhaps, you know, we, we talk about good news here, but, but there's bad news too, and, and even in our own province, there's been times where someone appeared to be in need, but they were actually the bandit. And so I, I just want to share that disclaimer that there are times that, that perhaps you're not the best person uh, to do it. We're, we're not all meant to be, be heroes, uh, but there are times when, when we're not off the hook too. And so it's kind of knowing the difference, and so discernment is needed here, of course. But this man, he's looking for a loophole, and so he asks, and how just would you define neighbor? How would you define neighbor? And so as you think of it, when I was growing up, uh, I, I love, we were just talking the other day about um, a, a child who's about five years old who prays for us every night, and, and I love that. And if you, if you remember being a kid, or you have kids, or, or, or you've been around even your grandkids recently, at, at a young age, um, isn't it cool that before bed, they pray for everyone they know and their dog? Um, yeah, I know people that pray for my dog, and he needs it sometimes. Uh, but, but what's awesome about that is that sometimes it's, it's the neighbors that you know, as in the people next door or across the street. I, I think we often think that, yeah, our neighbors are the people in my building, on my floor, uh, right next to me, like in the, you know, the, the adjacent townhouse. I, I think those are our neighbors. And sometimes we, we spread out to like, well, uh, across the subdivision, you know, or, or wherever we might be. Yeah, those are our neighbors too. And, uh, but I think the definition of neighbor is a little different here. One thing that I noticed as I was reading this too, perhaps you've noticed this too, um, the man's asking, and who is my neighbor? 
I think that you could be reading most of the story and kind of have it implied that the Jewish man who's beaten, um, stripped of his clothes and his dignity, I think that we're assuming that that's our neighbor and we're supposed to help, help that person. But did you notice how Jesus put an extra twist to it? No, the neighbor is the Samaritan who helps the man, which also kind of challenges this Jewish man who's thinking like, I, I have a beef, my, my people have a beef with his people. And it, do you know what I mean? And, and so I think that there's something implied there that, oh, if you were the one, if you, this religious leader, we don't know his name, but if he was the one that was beaten and lying there, would he care that it's a Samaritan that helped him? Man, that will kind of mess up your heart, won't it? Because you're just like, ah, oh, but I have contempt for this person. You don't want to say that out loud to Jesus, but he knows our hearts. And so the, the challenge here is, is not just that the man that's beating, I think he's the neighbor too, by the way, but Jesus is putting an extra kind of spin on it as he actually often does is like, this guy's trying to find out what's the bare minimum? What's the loophole? But Jesus is saying, actually, I'm gonna raise it again for you. Yeah, please, at least do that. But I'm actually saying that it's, it's up here instead. And so perhaps you could ask the question, you know, is the person in need? Or is it the person who shows mercy, the neighbor? And the answer is yes, it's both of them. But here's one way that I would think about it. A neighbor is anyone who has a need you can meet. What if a neighbor is anyone who has a need you can meet? That, that could potentially mess you up because, well, what if I see someone virtually? What if I see someone or I'm on the phone with someone? Uh-oh, uh, I'll stop meddling. But that's, that's kind of the thing that starts to challenge us is that it's not just the person we encounter when we're uh, between point A and B. Uh, sometimes it, it's bigger than that. And that might change the way that we pray. That might change the way that we pray, not just for our heart, but as, as God uh, gets a hold of our heart, as we surrender our will to his, maybe he starts changing the way we see things. I think that will happen. Another question that comes up from, a, from an author is, is it's the, the question is not who is my neighbor uh, that I'm obligated to love, uh, but who has a need which I'm compelled by love to respond? That's different. The guy wants to know who am I obligated? Who's the short list of people that I must do something about? And Jesus expands that. It's like, no, no, no. You have to respond. That, that compassion that this man, this despised Samaritan, in your, in your terms, in your uh, feel towards him. He doesn't just have compassion for this man in need, but he shows it. It's not just in the heart. It doesn't stay there. And I think sometimes we're tempted to just allow things to be internal. Well, I feel this way. So do something about it. Let your hands do what your heart is feeling. And use discernment, but do something. And so my question is, is there anyone who has a need that I can meet? Probably, I've, I've encountered people that have a need that I can uniquely meet. Uh, I, I can't do it necessarily for, for everyone, uh, but is there someone uh, that might even be coming to mind to you now that has a need that you can uniquely meet? And is there one for the broader context, for 9 a.m., uh, for, for 11 a.m.? It's the same question for our Tuesday morning. We often think about that, and, and often we do something about it. And so, but the question is not, not just to do something because we should, but because we're compelled by love to do it. Is there anyone 
who has a need that we can meet, well, we need to be their neighbor. It's not just that they're the neighbor, it's that we are the neighbor showing mercy. The other thing that the expert should have known, and, and again, the, you know, he answered well, uh, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, but I, I went back, I don't know if you ever do this uh, when you're studying or, or reading, but, but sometimes I go uh, back to that, that chapter just to read the context. Sometimes I want to know what came just before or after. And, and there's this verse that I want to point out in a, in a moment. And so remember, the verse that he quoted was um, 19, verse 18, the whole do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against uh, a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't it interesting that in Jesus's example, he's not a fellow Israelite. It, it, it's this Samaritan. It's, it's someone other, but he's actually obeying the law he's doing and, and then some. But just a few verses earlier in verse 16, um, uh, it says, do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. What's challenging about that is that as this expert is hearing those first two people, we've, we've been over it about the um, trying not to be ceremonial unclean. We, we don't think about that in our turn, terms too much, but, but this, this Jewish man would think about that definitely for the, for the priest and, and for the assistant, the, the Levite. But in this case, he would have known that as he was quoting to Jesus, just you know a few lines above in his mind and hopefully in his heart, he would have known, oh man, these guys, they, it's not that they stood idly by. They, they avoided. They, they knew that this, this man's life is, is threatened. He's, he's laying there half dead. So this man would have been challenged inside feeling like, oh, they did something wrong. They didn't not just forget to do something right, but they literally, by the law, did something wrong. Something that the Lord commanded. They're not supposed to leave someone's life. A fellow Israelite, it's a Jewish man. It's someone just like him, but he's just not wearing the garb, and he's sitting there, but they, they don't just stand idly by, they, they avoid it, they take a wide berth around this guy. And so this man would have been challenged, this man would have been thinking like, I'm an ex, I know this, and Jesus knows that I know. And now I know that I'm not the one in the right here. And so do not stand idly by, that's, that's where we get the Good Samaritan laws and things like that. And I, I remember before I understood it in scripture, I'd heard about it from Seinfeld. <laughs> Perhaps you learned a lot there too, things that maybe you should unlearn. But, um, but the situation that happened in, in one of those final episodes was that there was something happening and they stood idly by. And so it, it, they made it into a joke but this isn't a joke, is it? This is something serious, and sometimes it's something small. Sometimes it's not life-threatening. Sometimes it's not someone who, uh, it, it's so apparent, and they're lying on the ground. Sometimes it's not that apparent. Sometimes it's, it's much, much less. Uh, but either way, to, to stand idly by is, is not to love the Lord with your whole heart, uh, and it's not to love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's not just one or the other. And so the big question that I asked and, and we kind of left it hanging in staff uh, midweek as, as we read through this together. The, the question is, who is your despised Samaritan? I'm not going to fill in the blanks for you. That's 
for you to do. Um, there's, there's lots of things that, that I could say, and, and, and I'm sure to, to someone either in our community or in the world, maybe I look like the despised Samaritan. Maybe it's me. Maybe, it, maybe it's me in, in some regard. Um, but, but I probably have someone, too, that it's natural. It's more um, human of me to show contempt than compassion, and that's not okay. And so this, this question is meant to be a heavy one on purpose because as this man who's the expert, and he's, he's trying to test Jesus, and then he's trying to find a loophole for himself. There's no loopholes here. There's really not. There's discernment, but there's no loopholes. And so as we ask that question, we need to fill in the gap. Who would Jesus have to say to me that would get my attention? Not who would, would John have to say to get the attention, but who would the Holy Spirit maybe have to bring up in your heart and mind that's like, oh, frig. <laughs> why did you have to say that? And then why would you have to grit your teeth? Similar to Jonah last week, this week, the guy, he can't even say the man's name. He can't even say his, his people's name. He says, the, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So it's moving. The man needs to move from this point. The listener, the preacher, now has to move from contempt to compassion. We have to move then from compassion to mercy. I love it how Joel Henderson, when he was preaching at Gwinnett Church, uh, part of the North Point uh, thing in, in the Atlanta region, he asked this question, what does love require of me? And so again, in this, it's, we could ask the question like, who is my neighbor? And yeah, but who really is my neighbor? Well, we're learning that Jesus is trying to expand our, our view for that, right? Our, our understanding of it. It's not just who is our neighbor and, and how do I love them like, like I would want to be treated. But of course, we know that Jesus, he raised the bar. No, 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 you're actually supposed to love each other like I have loved you. So you're willing to be the person who's half dead or, or completely uh, on behalf of someone else, uh, it's a sacrificial kind of love. It's not just a feeling, but, but love must be demonstrated. And so here, the same way that I'm saying compassion, it begins in the heart. It is a feeling, you could say, but mercy is in the hands. It's an action. It is something that you tangibly do to help someone else. What does love require of me? What does it mean to be a neighbor? Sure, but what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be like Jesus in this? Last week as we were leaving, just uh, the band's going to come in a moment, but um, I think it was Tefer that, that had a question about the message, and, and we were just talking kind of quickly about Jonah, and I said, well, yeah, last week, the problem is that we're like Jonah. <laughs> the problem is, unfortunately, is that we're, we're often not like Jesus, and not that Jesus is putting himself in here. He's actually heightening it, making it a little more complicated by putting a Samaritan in this story. And the problem is that often we're like Jonah, or in this case, sometimes we're like this religious expert. Unfortunately, sometimes we're like the priest. Sometimes we're like the temple assistant. But he's asking us sometimes to be like this Samaritan, but ultimately to be like him, to be like Jesus. And so as we ask, what does love require of me? It's not a question of who is my neighbor and how do I be a neighbor, but how do I be like Jesus? Not just how do I be like this Samaritan, but, but how do I be like Jesus in this situation? Compassion is in the heart, but mercy is in the hands. And we know that, that our God He's merciful and he's compassionate. He doesn't just feel a thing for us. He's done something for us. And so, Father, we, 
uh, again, commit this time and, and the challenge and, and the heaviness of it. Would you change our, our hearts, but, but not end there? Would you also change how our hands connect to the heart? And, and we've prayed it before, and, and sometimes we, we just simply say it, but we mean it. Would, would we be your hands and feet? Would we be able to see people the way that you see them? Would you challenge us with that? Please give us discernment as well, but would we be willing to go out of our way? Would we be willing to, to not just spend, uh, but to, to get our hands dirty and to um, lose time on, on, on helping someone who's in need? Would you help us to see not just how to be a neighbor, but, but yes, who is our neighbor, but, but what does love require of us? What does it mean to be your follower, your disciple in this community at this time? What does that mean, and, and, and how would you have us have your will be done on earth, in our heart, in our home, in our church, in our city? How would you have that happen? Would you change us? Would you help us to bring your kingdom to Fredericton? We pray in Jesus' name.